0: Tell me when it's live. Okay. Good morning. I'll Begin again with a, a tefillah and brocha. Hinele <speaking> Yonim b'la Yisrael, the Rebbe to protect in everywhere, especially in Eretz Yisroel. Eretz Yisrael, Yisrael, Hashem ala Kachabah, Meresha Ashonu be'la'achri Shonat, Sabloshin Harav. The words of the Rebbe, many, many times, especially in times of crisis, whether it was in Tavshin Chavzayin, or even earlier Tavshin Tezrayin, and Chavzayin, Lama Dalad, and many, more times, that um, the Imrusha should make sure that every person is kept safe. We shouldn't hear any more tzar. And uh, quickly, Shlul Bin Napach transformed into Major Nitzachin. The Rebbe's approach, which now is clear to everybody, and hopefully will remain clear, that you have to finish a war, you have to go all the way till the end. As I discussed last week, some of the Rebbe's approaches, I'm gonna continue. But just to sum up a few of the key things that, uh, especially on the Donald when the Rebbe spoke, to go into Damascus and to Cairo, and they were pretty close, and Rebbe made it clear, we're not talking about conquering, we're talking just showing the enemy that you go I'm using these words, you cut off a, s- a snake at its head, you have to show that you completely conquer the capitals of the enemies who attacked you. And that creates a whole different climate. I'm just comparing it to example, unconditional surrender at the end of World War II. An enemy must know that they are completely destroyed. It's the only way you bring peace. And Rebbe made it clear that he's talking about protecting not just Jewish lives, but also non-Jewish lives because every life is precious. So it's not some hawkish military approach. It's simply, unfortunately, in a world of darkness, the world of gollus, there should be some things And that's the only way to deal with a true enemy. If they're proven to be a true enemy. We obviously, we all love to hope that there are no enemies, but there are. And not by our choice, but by their choice. And that is something, just a very ugly truth that a lot of people don't like to hear. Look, let's be honest. Psychologically, who likes confrontation? In your own personal life, if somebody does something that may offend you, most most cases, unless you're really an aggressive person with a lot of anger, we, uh, we what do we want confrontation for? We minimize it. Many times we have to. We have to overlook. Ma'ivra al midasov. But sometimes a person does something that really is not appropriate, and not mitzad teva adam that you are achzori, you're angry or something. Like some chasid says. That's the only reason you're coming to punish someone because you're an aggressive person. But I'll pitay There's a time that you have to stand up because if you don't show the enemy strength, they'll just come and attack you again. So it's not a matter of aggression. It's a matter of simple, normal protection. So there's times where we need to have confrontation. I'm just bringing a personal example just from our own lives. We don't like it. Nobody likes confrontation, especially on this scale. But you can't be in denial when you're dealing with millions and millions of people that call you their enemy, that have declared war on you. The carbonus we saw, the carbonus we've seen in the past, are a result of, of, of taking it for granted, of not letting your guard down. Not here to point fingers, not a time that ever would always emphasize, not a time, now, now is a time for Agdus and only Biskhusun to speak only Biskhusun Shayyisro. But as we speak between ourselves, it's important to know this. And now, you know, the hope is that, uh, unfortunately, this has been such a such a terrible, brutal tragedy that it has woken up the right parties, and hopefully they will do what they have to do. And again, this is Mitzat Shalom, not mitzad Muhammad. You know, tonight I'm going to be on a radio show, and they wanted to title it, uh, according to Taylor, when is revenge or retribution? Revenge means comma and retribution means English, Like, you know, um, revenge Retribution is paying is paying somebody what they did, punishing them. And I told the host, I said, from a Torah ter- ter- point of view, it's not revenge or retribution; it's protecting innocent people. You know, once you say, call it revenge or retribution, then right away you say, okay, so how much revenge you're going to have? Yeah, by Mechamis Midian, the Ebrushta says but that's the Ebrushta Sivui. But in the case of Pekach Nefesh, we don't call it revenge. If you attack someone who's broken into, God forbid, someone's house and is attacking your family, it's not revenge and it's not re- retribution, it's post- self-defense to save lives. And just again, just to show how communication is critical, how people position things changes the whole picture. Look at all the misinformation going on, the, 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 the bombing of this hospital. And now posh uh, to becomes an MS and that's that. And that's why I think it's vital for all of us not saying to follow the news, that's not our job. But anything that comes our way, we have to be able to have ACs to explain. Yeah, you may say that, who are you, Miani, and Maani? We're not here at public figures that are going to reach millions of people. But nevertheless, everybody has their sphere of influence. You never know who you speak to. And you have to be armed with information. So, with that, I want to go to another part that I didn't discuss last week, didn't have time. Last week, I covered more the Rebbe's approach, B'chalal in the time of war. That is also the spiritual war, and I just saw the letter. A letter from the Fli Dikareb in Tovshin Ches Yudal Ear. basically right after the Independence War, the first war, in Yisrael in 1948, where the Fli Dikareb writes clear that that a war consists of begeshem or beruach. You need both, and we have to do everything possible to support achenu v'ach pesenu b'nei yisrael b'nei yisrael Begeshem or beruach, and he says it several times. kim beruchi. and you can't have a successful war begeshem if you don't have a successful war beruach. It's a very powerful letter. It's uh, in Igros Kedish. Uh, look at the And of course, the Rebbe's emphasis was exactly the same point. And uh, the beruachnisdeka part is in our hands. We can't do anything. We can't do as much in Gashmias, At least most of us. But the Ruchni is and there he calls for tshuva. Uh, but of course, we know all the mitzvahs that the Rebbe spoke about, mitzvah, mitfilin, mezuzah, stalker, achdus, of course, chinuch, by P.A. and So that I spoke about last week, Bar Bariches. I also discussed Simashin Chavtes, the Rebbe using the Hilch Shabbos. practical halacha, but it's more than just halacha, it's an insight in how you fight battles. It's an inside how you look at enemies. And when there's an enemy, you have to mobilize even if the enemy's not attacking you. Because an enemy is an enemy, But pale mamish, even if there's no actual war. So I want to talk now about another side of this, which is critical as well. And there's so much uh, misinformation about this as well. I'll just start with, uh, I guess I call it a klotz kasha, if you wish. I mean, <clears throat> we all wonder. It seems like crazy that there are people, Seycheldika people, not talking about terrorists and murderers who are anti-Semites, <clears throat> that are able to come low, with a straight face that say that Israel's is the criminal here, that Israel occupies the land, they oppress the Palestinians, and I'm not gonna repeat all their tigniness. Not again, it's not my job to do that. And people, intelligent people, including the uh, land Jews, many Jews. A mother just wrote to me that I don't, my daughters and I don't talk. Because they are completely anti-Israel. And every time we talk, it just becomes a war. So her own daughters. She asks me to pray for them. They should have ruach yal ruach You look in academic circles, universities. Not everybody, but enough. And you ask yourself, what, what, where, where are they coming from? What kind of image? It's like saying that the Nazis and the Jews, the Jews were at fault. You have to, Something's the matter with you. So you could blame anti-Semitism. I'm sure there's part of that. There's anti-Semitism, anti-Semitism is not rational. In the media, look how fast they bought into the story that Israel bombed the hospital, even though a complete check, they didn't even check it. Isn't that a media job to check at least, to be skeptical? And even now, trying to, you don't hear anyone in the media getting up and apologizing that we jumped the gun. So for sure there's anti-Semitic stuff and that itself is a headline that should be emphasized. But there has to be also something more here. So I want to address that not because we have to be uh, al-t- 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 Al-Tan-La'aval, you know, Al-Tasaviki-Manuval. We're not here to engage with people who are Bechlaw, to debate people who are Bechlaw, they and whatever you say, they're not going to respect anyway. But we have to know, even if you don't answer, we have to know, wow, what's the approach here? And what's really going on here? And I think a lot of people, including even completely obviously AV and pro-Israel and all of that, I'm not always aware of all the details. So I would suggest that the, the Rebbe's emphasis on the first Rashi, or I should say, the Rashi in the first Pasuk in Chumash, about why of our Goyim, where Kayach uh, Maisev Higid ame Los <laughs> Islam Goyim. The Rashi, that the Rebbe emphasized many, many times, including, I just heard a clip, that Rebbe Pasuk looking at Chumash, I think it was Membez, I'm not sure, if anybody remembers what sikh it was, the Rebbe's posh looking in a chumash in a video, and reading the Rashi inside from beginning to end and touched it with you know Pirish Ambilis. The Rebbe even corrects. He says goim <laughs> The Rebbe says first he says the 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 welt, the then the Rebbe translates it to land, and the ebrusted bashaf in the land and it is gem in. So. With the, with, the, with the big qualification, the Rebbe made it clear that Shimon Shinchov test is not just in Eretz Yisrael It's in France, in Hardar, that's the Russian Gemara. It's in France, in England, anywhere in the United States, the same logic. If there's an enemy on your doorstep, on your gvul, on your boundary, you have to treat it as such. But Rashi, obviously, and Bereish Boris is talking about Eretz Yisrael So this Rashi, as much as we emphasize it, I think it's so, so. When you really understand it well, you could see that magdim Lamaka, that how it responds to the questions I asked, what that I discussed before as well, how people can have a different narrative, completely different than the one we embrace. So let me, let me begin with us with a letter that Eber wrote to Shazar. So you know, the president Shazar, who was named after the Alta Eber, and considered himself a chassid came to see the Rebbe several times, Tavsha Chavov, Chav Zayin, I think Lamed Gimel, that's president. I think Lamed Gimel, he was already after being president. He was also by the Rebbe many times before, before he was president of Israel. Anyway, the letter is, is uh, printed, the letter the Rebbe, the, the Rebbe writes, Shazar writes to the Rebbe, Atayinah, says the Rebbe addressed Shazar as president of Eretz Yisro, not of Medina Yisro. So he writes to the Rebbe, why is the Rebbe taking away from me and, ch- and forcing me to have to choose between being a chosid and between following the oath I took, oath of office, as president of, of Medina Shisrael, not Eretz Yisrael. In other words, by the Rebbe writing Eretz Yisrael, the is like causing him, you know, is he a chosid of the Rebbe, then it's Eretz but he gave an oath to Medina Shishol. That's what he writes to the Rebbe. The Rebbe responds to two things. The Rebbe says, Firstly, you were a chassid before I was even born. So, how could I take away your ability to be a chassid? That's what the Rebbe writes to him. And Bayes, this is the Iker, of course, the Rebbe writes to him The Israel, or the Rebbe, exactly, began in 1948. And it's just back 300 years. So, making you far, far bigger president. You're a president of a land that's here for thousands of years. Now it's not Sama Melitza. What is the Rebbe saying? That the only right that we have to be there, really, api is because to gave the tator, the Yisrael to the Eden. Called, every person on earth calls it the promised land. There's a reason it's called the promised land. Because it was promised to Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov. The Bible is considered the best-selling book. I'm speaking now even from the point of view of a secular audience. It's the best-selling book in history. Even though they are best-selling lists every week on, the, uh, bu- on bu- bu- books are best-sellers, they never put the Bible, but the Bible sells more than all the books put together every week. Today, it is the best-selling book. I checked it out. I'm an author, so I want to see who my competition is. Uh, so for the Bible, nobody can compete with. It sells, I don't know how many it sells. It's not even on the list, which is also another sheket. You know, they call it a best-selling list. At least say the Bible is always the one, but nobody wants to say that, which maybe, based on what I'm going to say, makes sense. So, so the Tatus says clearly that it's a promised land. Then the Eden were chased away. They had to go to Mitzrayim. They ended up in Golas. They came back 210 years or 250 years later, whatever the amount of years how you counted, after 40 years in the Midbar. And of course, who occupied the land? Occupiers, the Canaanim and the Shiva Omis. They refused to give back the land to, to, to their owners and the Eden were owners not just promised by God we know Avraham Avinu bought Mara Samach Pela because he wanted that no one should have tainus it wasn't a gift he didn't want him a matana. he wanted it to be a purchase that it should be contractual lease like you buy a house someone gives you as a gift they could always come back and say you know it's a gift now I want it back he wanted to buy it and all the other kinyanim that were made so the Eden had no choice they had to go to war to go back to their own homes someone takes away your home and then they lived for many years there. And they built the first Beis Hamikdash, and then the Babylonians or the first the Assyrians destroyed Malchus Yisroel. Then the Babylonians destroyed Baislish and exiled the Eden. Seventy years they came back, built a second Bais for 420 years, and then the Romans, Malchus Golas said then exiled us for Kamat or Adayim Azeh. So this is basic history. This is not theory. Most people don't talk about that. That's the story. That's why it's called the Promised Land. So when the Eden started coming back, well, they always lived part of, the always Eden in Etz When they start trickling back, you know, we know the Shaloh, the Ramban. How many G'deli Yisrael, the end of their lives, they went from Europe, they went to, uh, or Europe, wherever it was, or Spain, they went, ended up in Etz So it was always the She'ifeh of Eden. We daven three times a day towards mizrah We say how many times in the Tfilis? I mean, all this are like pure historical facts. You don't need any theories. There's no debate about this. So it's been our life from the beginning. We never, ever forgot it. It's Yisrael, Yerushalayim, for one second. You break a glass under every chupa. I mean, I'm going to go on every minig that we have. All, it's, it's, it's full of Yiddishkeit. It's so, so saturated in everything we do. So then, the 20th century, or the 19th century, when even started making their way back there to some a little more, and then after the Second World War, we're going back home. Not occupiers, the whole concept doesn't exist. However, there's another narrative, another narrative, narrative that cuts God out of the picture and cuts Tate out of the picture. And they start history in the 19th century. 19th century, Most of the population in what we call Echisroth today were Muslim Arabs. Then began a Zionist Congress, secular Zionists, began a movement of creating a homeland. And there's no God in the picture. There's no promised land in the picture. As a matter of fact, some Zionist leaders, wanted, suggested maybe Uganda or Argentina, actually. Argentina was rejected right away, but Uganda... About, and then finally, they realized that they're not going to Uganda. Right? Who was going to Uganda? But bottom line is that this is another narrative. It's the same narrative, we'll call it the narrative of the Maskilim and the scholar movement, that um, cut out God because ju- religion, Judaism, Christianity, all religion is archaic, it's old fashioned, it's biblical, it's not for the modern world. We don't need God. It's a new narrative. Science has replaced religion. I don't want to go into all the details, but this is a major shift that happened in the seventeenth, eighteenth century. Basically, when Chassidus was born, Balshemt of the Alter Rebbe, and came to challenge that. What does it mean? The Eden were by yisalfus. There was yet yeah, many challenges, but there was new world. A new world, a new modern world was being born. And why was the Alter so against France? Even though Begashmister would have been better for the Eden the war with France, the Franco-Russia war, because Beruchnius, the godless France, would be very bad for it. Even with France losing, look what assimilation did to the Jewish people, ravaged the Jewish people. So it went to a whole new stage. Assimilation that we know today did not exist 500 years ago. And this new age has a new history that whatever happened before the 18th century is all old-fashioned. The Rebbe once told, I think... Maybe it was Freden, or there was a photographer, an Israeli photographer, who was by the Rebbe, um, and uh, I'm trying to remember the details. And he was going to make a display of the pictures of, that he took Tishrei in Nerteson, Tel Aviv or something. And they were going to call, and the display was called something like a picture of Jews as they were in the dark Middle Ages. It was still holding on to menhagim from the dark, the dark middle ages. And the Rebbe responded. I remember the full context, but I know the answer the Rebbe gave. The Rebbe said, first of all, not everything in the middle ages was dark, and not everything today is not dark. So, you know, before you use the word dark middle ages, be careful. You know, it's like dismissing everything back then was the dark ages. They had no science, they had no medicine, they were stupid, they were religious. Faith. They didn't use seichel, faith. The absence, faith is the absence of reason. They use it's a crutch. And again, I don't want to repeat all the, the arguments, but it's critical to my te to understand. So, based on that narrative, that's for argument. Just for a moment, go into the devil's advocate. We don't believe in a devil, but for a moment to go into the other argument. And the other argument. That's the case. So how many Jews were in Israel, living in Israel in 1890 or 1910? The majority were the Arabs and Muslims, because they're the ones that occupied. That's correct, if if you start history in 1900. And then the Ottoman Empire lost the war, so the British and the Allies divided that whole part of the world, if you're familiar with the history. And slowly, as Jews started making their way in, the the, the British the Balfour Declaration, and other things. They had Rahmanis and Kamuven after the Holocaust to give the Jews a homeland. That was the UN that gave it to them. That's a narrative that's completely shaked. That's like, that's like telling a history that starts in 100 years. Based on that narrative, yeah, the Arabs were living there. They were the majority, and the Jews moved in. They became more and more. They were smarter, more aggressive, and they pushed them out. And in many ways, they did. You know, what they didn't do, No mentions, is that's what America did to the Indians. And that's what the Australians did to the Aborigines. But however, they killed them all. So there's no one there to resist. But that's not the case. That's not the story. The Eden is a promised land. So here you see how Rashi is so critical. Not just as an answer, listimatem. It also is a different narrative. So when the Goyim will say, a thousand years ago, Rashi writes this. And Rashi brings it from Medish, which is more than a thousand years, two thousand years, the Medish Kamat. What does it say? That they'll say the Goyim will, will say, "Listimatem, you're thieves. You took, you're taking our land. And the Eberster says, that's why I'm starting the whole and not from the Khidr says border." The whole Teda changes its order to tell that you'll have them Nachos goyim. And he gave it, took it to the Goyim, and he gives it to who he wants to give it. And he took it from them and gave it to the Eden. Which implies, by the way, that 99% of the planet is given to the Goyim. It's a pretty big part of the world. Israel's is the size of New Jersey. But he gave it to the Eden. And that's what you should tell them. Because there's no real other argument. Take away Rashi, take away Breshi's Borah, then the story, you can say, begins in the 19th century, 20th century. And then you have the narrative that so many people buy into. And why do they buy into it? First of all, they may not even be aware of the bigger story. Secondly, it fits the, generally the scientific narrative that you don't need God. Why? Don't, don't, don't bring God into the picture. Ironically, the whole war is about God because that's what Muslims want. They want control of it, so not because they want the oil. Or they want their olive groves is because they believe they should control the world. Islam—that's another discussion which I don't want to go into right now. But this is how you see how the Rashi that ever brings is not just—I mean, the Rashi itself is powerful enough, but it also addresses such a tremendous uh, the argument out there. And when you say this to people, they really have nothing to say. What are they going to say? That the Jews didn't have its promised land? That Jews were never there? It's pushed. It's not true. Now, remember, irrational people don't need the rational, will not respond to rational arguments. I don't know if you can win a debate with somebody who's either anti Semite or just has the guns and Fakishiv to completely brainwashed or programmed. But we have to know and we have to understand it. And it's true, it is true. That, is it true that Idan moved into Tel Aviv and Yafo in the early 20th century? And yes, bought, bought homes. But it was the Arabs that immediately saw them as enemies. It was the Mufti of Yerushalayim that went to Hitler I Mach Shemei, to make a deal with him to try to kill all the Jews because they didn't want Jews there. Now remember, Jews being there also reminds them that it's not their land, that they're the occupiers. So the chutzpah here is, they call it occupiers, occupied land. The aggressor, it's the exact opposite. So when you take that into context, you understand a whole different picture. So I'm not, again, not trying to explain the enemy and explain those that disagree, but you have to understand where they're coming from, and they're just not informed. They don't have the right information. So that's the Rashi that gives us very clear, makes that very, very clear. Now I want to talk about a few other things about uh, this whole uh, Parsha. You know, you know, everybody's wondering what's happening there. It's like pretty quiet right now, not quiet war-wise, but not a lot of information is coming out. People think that... Maybe it's the soul's backing off, the pressure of the countries now, et cetera, cetera. I mean, For my information, not that I have big inside information, but I have pretty good information. It's the exact opposite. But, but I hear Baruch Hashem that they're planning to do exactly what they set out to do, to destroy them completely. But they're doing it very secretively. They have, obviously, they're not going to announce that the enemy can know exactly what they're doing. And they're moving in, literally, piece by piece, finding out exactly where their places are because they want to destroy it. Now, we hope that it should maintain that, uh, that attitude. But this is what the Rebbe wanted. And I say again, the Rebbe, we're speaking as Chassidim, but remember, the Rebbe is based on Torah approach. The Rebbe didn't just come up with ideas, Chaz It's based on a Torah approach, that you don't want Muhammad, but when there's no choice, you have to go and you have to fear the Muhammad, all the way. At the same time, like I said before, the Muhammad Ruchnis they go hand in hand. There's no stir at all. But the big challenge that a lot of people are facing is, is the, pacht, the pachat. There's a natural emotional fear that people have, uh, both in Etz Yisrael and even here. And a lot of people, I know this because people direct these questions to me, and they talk about their children. As soon as they see a piece of news, in Islam, there's some things that no one should even see. Some of the images and the brutality, which can break any heart. You know, you just hear from seasoned and veterans who've been working in the, in the military and in medical fields for years, saying they never saw anything like this in their lives. So, I don't want to talk about what they what they saw, but what you see here is more than just a um, killing. You see here, Mamish, I mean, I don't know if anything could be worse than the Nazis, but on that level, the I mean, things that they did. So, is it purely the hatred of Eden... Is it the hatred of Eretz soul? What exactly is, is going on here? So we have the Ach Esau Sain, the of of the, 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 the Yaakov which um, is a famous Sikha from the Rebbe Purim Tav Shekhov talks about the two reasons for anti-Semitism between Achashverish and the tale and the Beir which is again not for here but if you want to look it up it's interesting, very fascinating sikha of why Goyim hate Eden b'chal. But I want to talk about what I said before, a little of history, which I think is also important to know. The Rebbe actually didn't speak about this very Befedish, but there were times that he hinted to it. And there are a lot of things that, that I, I found in my own years working in the Sikhs that are like as an under, uh, what we call an undercurrent, like a subplot that the Rebbeim talked about, but did not speak about Mamish Begole Mamish. So I remember the first time I, I came to realize it was when the Rebbe in and Mbez, he said a Maimer, this." and he brought there that the last birut in Golis will be the Birur of Ishmal, the Bir of Esav, and the Birur of Ishmal. So I remember when we wrote up the, the sikhs then and the Maimodim, I looked it up for the Maimodim and I found then, it's based on Maimodim from Tovshin Tes, P- Pesach Tavshim Tes, Kereld from the Friday Rebbe, which in turn is based on my modern Pesach of Tafresh Samachtes from the Rebbe Rashab. So knowing that the Rebbeim always spoke about things, even though they didn't say it befedish, but you know, they were my modern were also said to be mezachich And my modern were always said also to be, correspond to events in the world. So even though the Rebbeim didn't always say it befedish, but you look at my modern, you'll see during different times they spoke about things that were in a way like either magdim refur or some form of tikkun or some birur, of the umes of that time. So I looked up what happened in history in Tavrei Samachtes and Tafshin Tes and Tav Shemembez. So th- working our way back, Tav was the first intifada. That's when the <coughs> Rebbe came out also, Sefer Seyfetetah, and especially that every shava should have an us in the Seyfetetah. The Rebbe then said, clearly every us will protect. He was very upset that Daskar Garnam and Etzisrael were not moving quickly. He said, "Bamish mikematzels einifoshes." The Rebbe used those words, and one of the Fabrengins, the Rebbe said, "Dreihundert ayyeder soldat, pashe beteva, hat an osna seifatayda. Damont is stadszgvoor. Damont is de seiner z driehundert en vier theizend achthundert en vijf soldaten miten, because that's the amount of letters in the seifatayda. Three hundred and four, The Rebbe said it twice. It very kosher then in Membeis. That was the first intifada with the Lebanon. all kinds of mice there." Tov Tes is right after Tov Ches, Mamish Zad Kufa. And Taf Samachtes is more or less when the Ottoman Empire, which was the empire that ruled the whole land of where it's is today, and Lebanon, and Syria, and Egypt, and Iraq, and, and a big part of the northern Africa, ruled for a good few hundred years. And when they were destroyed, that's when all these new situations began. That's also when oil was discovered in Saudi Arabia, in the Arab world, by uh, Western companies which of course gives them the wealth or else they'd just be having donkeys and uh, camels. But, but Kitzer, in each of these, these kufis, where there was a change in history, something was happening in that part of the world, the, Rebbe, the Rabbeim said something about, and all these mamorim talk about, the birur of Esau and yishmal Okay. To share with you, settle, I think it's around Tavshin Mem, from I see from the Ksav said So to Rabbi Velvil green glass all of us from who lived in Montreal from the Atfotsk Bachrim he was considered a mikubu a big makusha to the Rebbe there's a lot of letters from the Rebbe to him he writes to the Rebbe like this that he read in a maimer um, uh, which maimer v'hechnim not v'hechnim or matzazul one of the maimorim of the Rebbe Marash I think it's matzazul quotes it where it says that Avram next week's Parsha um Avram is Bispal the to Lu Yichia Lefanov. He's Bispal for his son Yishmol You know Yitzchok was obviously the ben Ha, ha, the, ha the, the one that would ultimately build Amisra, but still was was still Avram's son. So um the Marash adds, listen to this. We're talking now, Tofresh Lamar Aleph, which corresponds to 1871, approximately. It's the middle of like nowhere in this whole Parsha. He writes, Af Nevertheless, he was still misspahol, lu yich yishmol So Rabbi Greenglass asked the Rebbe, what is this Maimer uh, referring to? What, what What is he gonna do by achres ha-yamim yishmol? That's what he asked the Rebbe. And the Rebbe responds, oh, and, sorry, no, Rebbe Pashas responds, I'll tell you what it says there in a moment. Then he continues and says, The Rebbe writes, Which is from the third day of Slichus, which, by the way, is the day right after 9 11 that it says, What's the Lashadah um, Khilah? What does he say there? Sayyid, say Ve Which is, of course, Alem is means he'll destroy. Say is a and Chesne is father in law. Who's his father in law? Yishmal. So the Rebbe writes, Ve'oid. The Ve'oid is important, you'll see in a moment why. So I went, I, when I saw this settle, I couldn't believe it. I went to look up, what does it say in these Zayars? So Zayar said Pasha Va', Mamushanavu. And I'm not exact, you can look it up. I'm giving you the exact the last page, it's Ahmed Beziv. I don't know that already, but say Pasha The Zayar says that the Sar of Yishmol comes to the Abushtad and tells him, one second, you gave all the baruchas to Yitzchak, but Yesh is also Maul. He's also a nimol. Hevram So he also has a bris. B'psare. So he deserves scar for that. So they was the answers. You're right. But since he was nimol. the ben shleishasrei. Not le the yomim. Because Ishmael was 13 when he was the bris. So I'll give him skar, but only for a few hundred years. That I'll have some control over my holy land, Eretz Yisrael. And after these few hundred years, the Sechar will be over. So the Zayah says, and there'll be a war, wars fought over this part of the world, and wars between, between Esau and yishmal Edem and yishmal which is essentially between the Western Christian world and the Muslim Arab world. And after all these wars, they will both hurt each other, and it'll be, I think, Yisroel Esau Chayel, the Eden will rise, and that's when Mashiach will come, and it's just all be given to the Eden. That's the day of Seif Pasha Ba'eda. So Rabbi Green is suggesting what the Rebbe Marash says, Mashi Yasi Yishmo Bachel Sayyom, is referring to these wars. Seif Pasha yes, yeah, says similar idea. There, actually, after 9 11, people quoted that Zayat. I don't know if they knew the Rebbe Settle, but they quoted it because the Zayat talks there very barem, but it talks about two towers falling. Talks about towers falling. The Rebbe says that. And of course, the, the piyut says it clearly. That Yishmol and Esau will be destroyed because they were enemies of Eden. Why the v'o'id? So the v'o'id tells me, those that know the clolim of the Rebbe's tziyunim, that there's a lot more to be said on this. It's not just a few, two, three modern mechanics. V'od means there's a lot more to be said. So I realized from that, that I just confirmed, that there's a whole story going on that we don't see, Begoli. And that is, in the big picture, as the Rebbe, the Rebbe Rashab and Tovshin Shintes and Tovshin and Shemembe, but especially in Tav Samachtes and especially in Tav Shintes, that the final bidder is Esav and Yishmol, and the battles that will be fought with them. So Esav is essentially the Christian Western Roman world that I mentioned. America and the Western world all come from Eden, And then there's the other, the Yishmol. So even though the Rebbe does say Yishmol today is not direct descendants from there, but that's a direct lineage. But generally, that region. And there in the Bimonimi talks, that what's, what does it mean, Naveda? Yishmol and Esav, interestingly, connected to Basiligani. That's Netzach and Heyd of Klipa. Is, is Esav and Yishmol. Netzach means when you don't have Ava Viira, Khessling Gvura, is like a bias. we have midas Sochan, the determination, like he speaks in Basiligani, of the Ansheikhail, the midas Midishanat just to win the battle. And Hyd is poshit haida, even if you don't have kechas Primim and you have all the giluim of Ava like I mentioned, but heidah means Kabbalah Like a soldier that goes Kabbalah that's the, the, the last birr. So the birr of Esau and Ishmael is through and you can look up the Maimorim. It's there. So why am I saying all of this? Obvious, very obvious. Even though there's a war to be fought and there's a koh nefesh involved. And we're not going now into just the scholars of what says in Maimorim. But remember, everything starts from Tera. Staka barayse alma. When the Rebbe spoke, in Shalom Adal" by the Yom Kippur War, so he said that "Niva, niva also the sim he made vav tishrei. You know, a The Rebbe doesn't make a seam every day. On And he said because Beremez is there. Talks about talks about Alexandria, Mitzrayim, <coughs> talks about Damasek in, uh, in in uh, in Syria. And the Rebbe says, "Talk about Eisabaramu." All the battles, everything begins in Taylor. So, Bamele, when we understand the birurim that we need to achieve, in some way, it is the birur of the sar of Yishmol, the sar of Esav, and the sar, of course, Mechol of Eden. So, when you look at all these Zayas and you look at all the birurim mechsides, you see there's a much bigger narrative going on. Again, I don't want to make sure I'm being sensitive, because right now, you know, there are people sitting shiva, chmona letzlan, they're still open... There's still the blood has not yet dried from these massacres. So it's important to keep in mind that's where we are. But it's still, at some, at some point, we have to understand also the background, so to speak. What's the story behind the story? The bigger war at, at stake here. So many ways, our to put it perfectly blunt, is to teach people what the true story is. And the true st- story is there's a neighborhood in the Welt. And it's not just a land Yes, Shin Chav applies simply mitzvah And we have to do everything to protect our children and our men and women and innocent people. That's not even a shaila, But it's a lot deeper than that. We're talking about here mamish the tachlis abriya. That this will lead, this is going to lead to Mashiach. Why it has to come when we were told already by the Rebbe so many times lo year aid and Mashiach is mamish 30 years ago already. I don't have answers to those questions. You know, these are questions that. Like the Rebbe himself said kaptaka kasha we don't have questions like when mrs Lapine was murdered and so on so we have many questions but that doesn't mean we get paralyzed we have to we are soldiers based of and our, our job <coughs> is to understand what is the true narrative and share it that ultimately behind the scenes we need to understand that the gain Yankif it's not just we're protecting innocent people of course these brutality any normal person would know that you have to do everything possible to eradicate evil that could do such a thing to innocent men, women, children, elderly, babies, pregnant women, unborn babies. I mean, without going into all the details again. But there's a bigger thing here as well. It's a mochamas Hashem. Because, as the Zayah says, So the Rebbe Marash in his own nevua predicted or knew that something will happen by achas that's not pleasant. Is this what happened? That's what, what he meant in the Rebbe Marash's mind? I don't know. Is it all the other terrorist attacks, the wars. But he definitely says that. And still Avram was misbelled for him. Because at the end of the day, small does do tshuva. Bizmane. And we hope that they will do tshuva today here too. Obviously, like General Schwarzkopf of America said, um, when they said to him, how could you be attacking the Iraqis? Isn't God the one that should... Uh, should take, uh, should judge them? He says, yes, God is the one that will judge them, but we have to create, we have to make sure they get there to, to God to be able to judge them. Mm-hmm. So our job is to get them before God, which means basically to kill them, and then God will judge them. So we're not judging anyone. We have to protect ourselves. But in the process, we have to also understand the deeper story behind it. I really believe that, and this are my modem, in many places that Abayim definitely spoke about it. Meizah Sibah, and it makes sense why they didn't speak about it but Gole Mamish, because not everything has to be spelled out especially you have to deal with things on the ground in but there is a plot that Eberster does fear the Welt. again why it has to go this way with such I have no answer just so we have an answer for the Holocaust but we know for sure that Yisrael the promise will be that the end will be good and it will be the shalom for Eden and for all people all human beings on this earth as the quote with the Medrash that the Rebbe often cited as well, that the Umas knew the brachas that they receive from Eden, from Yisrael, from Yerushalayim, from the Beis HaMikdash, instead of attacking it, they would surround it with armies, with legions of armies to protect the Beis HaMikdash because of all the brachas that it's mamshik to the Umas So it's interesting, Simcha's Taylor, <laughs> when all this started, came after six, seven days of Sukkot, eight days, seven days, where we said we spoke about what? The Shivim Parim, which is K'neget Shiva Mumus. We were mispal for them, for them. K'neget, the M'shalma Purim is the Purim that were brought in the Besa HaMikdash. So it's so ironic that the very source of bruch is what, of course, the enemy attacks, but that's not surprising. So the end will be good, and we should really be zechat to all these broches that should be fulfilled. the Goli, Anir, Vanigla. should only hear good news. And, and the Gula Hamiti's Vashlan. 아 <웃음>